Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is based on 1 John chapter 5. We're reading just three verses as it's printed on the, on the screen behind me. It is the wrong verses printed in your worship guide, so I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles, devices, or follow along on the screen behind me. This is our sermon lesson from 1 John chapter 5. The Apostle John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. This is the word of God. James Montgomery, the hymn writer, wrote that prayer is the Christian's vital breath. Prayer is the Christian's native air. This really compelling quotation from his hymn points out really two fascinating facts about prayer in the life of the Christian. It is natural and it is necessary. First, the idea that prayer is the Christian's native air. It just is what Christians do. Christians pray. Just as naturally as you and I breathe and breathe through our sleep last night without even thinking about it, that's what Christians do. They pray. They talk to God. That, that is what prayer is. It is us talking to God. God in his word talks to us. Prayer is natural. That's the first thing it points out. And then it's necessary. Prayer is a Christian's vital breath. They need to breathe, they need to pray. In the same way that, well, if you didn't breathe, you would be dead. So also with Christians, if you're not breathing, if you're not praying, well, what does that say about our spiritual life? Put it like this, think about it. If you are someone who walks up the stairs and takes just one, maybe two steps up the stairs and, whew, you are winded, what does that say about your physical health? Well, it might be an indication that you're not in good physical health if just after two stairs, or maybe you've caught yourself at certain times in your life where, oh man, a flight of stairs, two flights of stairs, it really, it really gets me. Think now also if you're in tip-top shape and you can run a race. Doesn't matter if it's a if it's a 5K or a marathon and you run the race and you get done, you can catch your breath and just back to that, you're breathing normally again. What does that say about your your physical health? It says you're in really good shape. Now apply that to our prayer life. If if praying is hard hard while you go about just normal everyday things like, let's say, the equivalent of 
walking upstairs, what does it say about your spiritual life? What does that say about your faith? Conversely, if prayer is something that you do all the time, you have no problem doing, you can, well, even get through life's trials, life's trying times, good times or bad, the race of life, and prayer is just happening naturally and, let's say, efficiently, what does that say about your spiritual life, about your faith? I don't know about you. I don't know which one you think you are, but the reality is you're probably not someone who says, yeah, I never pray, I don't pray, I can't pray. And at the same time, you're probably not someone who's going to admit, oh, thanks for pointing that out, Pastor, that is me. I'm the equivalent of the Iron Man of praying. I pray effectively and efficiently all the time. Thank you very much. Now, if I ask you which one of those two you are, it'd probably be tough to say because we're really never one or the other. It's more likely that you're on a continuum, a spectrum, if you will, between those two. There's other times where, where prayer does come very naturally, and, and perhaps there's other times or seasons in your life where it doesn't. So this morning, we're asking that the Lord increase our faith, increase our faith to pray. Throughout this series, that has been our prayer, and now we're praying it, well, about praying and here's what we're asking. We're asking God not that, well, he increase our faith because we just don't trust in him. We don't believe in Jesus. No, 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 no. That's not what our prayer is. Our prayer is this, that when we say, Lord, increase our faith, we're asking, Lord, please increase our faith in you as it is applied to a certain aspect of our lives, as it's applied to certain promises that you give us in your word. What are those promises? promises that God gives, and what are they as they relate to prayer? Well, the three verses that we just read from 1 John were packed full of them. If you have them on your Bibles or devices, open them back up, but I want to summarize them in this way. Did you catch the promises that God gave packed into these verses? First, he said, because of the Son of God, because of Jesus Christ, you who have faith, you who believe, you have eternal life. That is a promise. Therefore, you presently have confidence to approach God, to stand before him and pray. And because you have that, well, therefore, you can ask anything according to God's will. And because you can ask anything according to God's will, you can know this. This is a promise. Take it to the bank. God hears you. And because God hears you, God will give us what we ask of him. Packed in just these three verses are five incredible promises about prayer. And yet we often have trouble grasping these problems, these promises. We have a problem with prayer. Why is that? Well, this morning, what we're going to do is examine these really wonderful problems, but we're going to step back and, and look at maybe problematic pictures or, or wrong ideas about prayer and see how God's word here in 1 John addresses those with his promises, promises that he asks us in faith to grab out and grab hold of 
and so that he might increase our faith to pray. Here's the first picture, if you will. It's based on 1 John chapter 5, where we read this. I write to you these things, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Here's the first picture, maybe problematic picture that we have of prayer. That prayer is us approaching a king on his throne. Maybe even approaching a king who's, well, above us, angry at us. And while some of you are looking at me like, wait, I thought God does sit on a throne and we do approach him at his throne, you're right, but here's where it gets to be a problem. Where we think of prayer in this way and think, I'm not going to pray because, well, the problem I, is one of worthiness. I'm, I'm not really worthy to stand before God's throne. I'm not worthy because I've sinned in this way again and again, or I've sinned in a really big way just now, so I'm not going to approach him in prayer and, and ask him for his forgiveness and ask him for his comfort. I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. Or maybe you think of your worthiness in this way, like, I'm not going to pray. I, I listen to my friend, the church lady, and her prayers sound really good. Or I, or I hear pastor pray in church, and his prayers make sense. I, I don't know what I would articulate or, or how I would say it as I stand before God's throne. We view prayer as approaching God's throne, and that can be a good thing because Scripture certainly talks about us having that ability to, to go before the throne of God. It speaks that way time and time again. But it becomes problematic when we think, I'm not worthy to do that. I, I can't talk to God. But here's the promise that God gives. The promise that God gives, we just read, is this, that you have the confidence in approaching God right now. John, when he speaks this way to you, is talking in present certain realities. He's saying that Jesus so loved you, that he died on the cross for you, that he has now opened up access between you and God who sits on his throne in heaven. And listen, it's not about you. It's not about your worthiness to go before him. It's about the worthiness of the lamb who was slain so that you could do it. You didn't say the right thing to get to go before God. You didn't get to choose anything to go before God. No, 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 no. It's, it's not about your worthiness in the first or the last place, either then or now. It's holy and fully about Christ, about Christ who opened up this way for you, and now you have that. Not someday in heaven, maybe you'll have eternal life. No, now. Presently, you have eternal life in him. Not, well, someday I'll get to talk to God. No, now you have him. And not, well, maybe someday you'll feel confident when you're in heaven about, yeah, God loves me and I can approach him and talk to him. No, no, now you, this is the confidence we have in approaching God before his throne. The confidence that John talks about is a word that is, isn't just more general confidence, but it's the word of confidence used when we talk about doing something courageous in the face of what would otherwise be intimidating. 
You think about approaching any king or ruler who sits on his throne. That's an intimidating experience. God does sit on his throne. He sits on his throne in heaven, ruling all things. But friends, you have the confidence in Christ to go before his throne and talk to him as dear children talk to their dear father and knowing that God is ruling all things for you. The truth is, confidence, worthiness, that's a tricky place to go when we think those things are based on us. But when your confidence is based in Christ, you have full confidence to stand before God's throne. That's the first problem. And, and I want you to grab onto that first promise. Here's the second one. First John chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Now, we're saying this one again, and, and here's why. Do we see prayer as something that we know we have and we know that we can access anytime because God's word tells us that, and I've heard about that since I was young. But do we do it, view it like, well, prayer is that break in emergency type thing, that only if things get really bad or only if I really need to, am I actually going to stop, slow down, take a moment to talk to God? What's the problem behind viewing prayer in this way? There's a lot of different ways to think about it, but let's call it what it is. It's maybe busyness. I, I don't have the time, or I'm not going to take the time to bother God with something like that. I'm, this isn't that big of an emergency. I'm not really going to stop and, and break glass and, and take advantage of the gift that God so wants us to have. We're being honest about our prayer life today. Ask yourself, why, why is it that you don't stop to take quiet, unhurried time to sit and speak with your God who desperately wants you to, who promises that he listens to you, who encourages you again and again to do so? Could it simply be because we're too busy? We're too busy, and so we, we put prayer up on the shelf, and we go, I know it's there if things get really bad and I lose my job. I know it's there if I have a really big decision to make. I know if there, it's there if me or one of my loved ones gets sick, but <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, like, take advantage of that. Here's the promise. The promise is that you always have God's ear. And, and I put ear down because, well, that's the saying for when someone's listening to you. But the reality is that you not only have his ear, you have all of him. You have God face to face. What God is talking about in his word in First John and again and again in other places is that you are there before him, looking at him, seeing him, and he is seeing you, always paying attention to you. Both my boys are now old enough where they have no problem talking and talking all of the time. And recently, they've done this thing, I think they're doing it on purpose, where when one starts talking to me, the other will all of a sudden have a very detailed story to tell me. And I'm going to be honest with you, when they both start talking, I don't hear a thing. My mind can't do that. When they both start talking, I just like kind of go blank and hear noise. And I have to say, boys, 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 one at a time. This one started, you can go next. 
But God hears all the time. God actually is able to process multiple people talking to him at multiple times. He's never too busy. You're not going to call him up and just get a voice message and hope that, oh, I hope he hears me. No, your God hears you because you not only have confidence to approach him, you have confidence to approach him and sit with him and stand with him face to face. This is the promise that he gives us. And as for being too busy to, to sit down and, and come up with the perfect prayer, well, this maybe plays into the idea that, you know, it's this emergency thing that I have to break and this this whole process to get at prayer. No, let me share this comforting promise with you from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is a very well-known, very famous section of Scripture because there at the end we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God works all things out for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But can I read to you what God's word says just two verses before that? It says this, as, as Paul talks about the suffering that Christians have and the chaos of life that Christians go through, and as they look forward to the present and future glory they have with God, he said this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. It's good. And I want to encourage you to stop to take unhurried, quiet moments to talk to your God in prayer. But I also want to encourage you that as you live your life, that at times gets full, busy, that you can pray even as you go through that, even as you go about that. And it doesn't have to be the perfect composed prayer to your God. It can be just, Lord, be with me. Lord, help me. Lord, keep your promises here. Lord, listen to my heart as I, as I feel this frustration, as I, as I thank you and feel this really overwhelming sense of gratitude. Because you can know this, that God always has your ear and the Holy Spirit is interpreting your prayers to God as well. That's the second promise. Here's the third. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Here's the picture. That we view prayer as a vending machine. That we view prayer as a vending machine where I go and I get what I want from God. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for yourself. There's nothing wrong with praying that God help you, assist you, bless you, guard you, and keep you. But what we're talking about with this is a different kind of selfishness. A selfishness that has God's will here and, well, Matt's will here. Your will here and says, God, I want what I want. And instead of praying according to God's will, searching out his will and seeking to understand his will. Selfishly, I pray, Lord, this is what I want. And we use prayer as kind of this, this tool, this machine to just punch in numbers and, and get out whatever I want for myself. What's really going on here is, 
is we're selfish in that we're trusting what, what we want for our lives. Well, it's better than what God wants through his will for us. It's not trusting that God's will is, and here's the promise, good for you. What God wills for you is always good. That is a promise that God makes again and again in his word. And he wants us to pray according to his will because he wants us to trust that it's always, always good. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, wraps up that section in Ephesians by saying this prayer. Now to him, to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. See the difference in, in how one can pray. One can pray for themselves according to God's will and his word, or one can pray for themselves in a way that is not selfish in just that it's about them, but that it completely ignores God's will for them. You know, people often say there's three ways that God answers prayer. Have you heard this before? That God says yes to your prayer, or God says no to your prayer, or God says wait. Have you heard that before? And there, there's some good, good understanding to that, that that's typically how God might answer general prayers. But I want to change that a little bit. I want to change that a little bit as we think about praying according to God's will. If and when you pray according to God's will, God's never going to say no. He might say yes, he might say, actually, you're going to wait a little while. Or he might say, I actually have something even better than what you could capture in your thoughts and words and express to me. Think about that. God's will for you is always good. And what God's will is, is, express, is expressed to us in his word. And yet, the hidden will of God, you know, is even beyond that. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than I can even think, than ask, or imagine. This is the God that we pray to as we pray according to his will. Christian pastor and author Tim Keller said this, that God will either give us what we ask for when we pray according to his will, or he will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that God knows. Think about that. God knows what is best for you because God loves you. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how much more will he graciously give us all things? And when we pray according to God's will, according to his word and his promises, that's a promise that we can grab onto. That's a promise that we can hold to that well, what we want to punch out of the vending machine doesn't even compare to the good things that God has in store for those who love him. That's the third. Here's the fourth. And it focuses on this, again, very key phrase. That this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But you noticed I underlined, well, a different part of that. Not what we ask for according to his will, but his will. Think about this. Here's the picture. It's a life buoy. 
It's a life buoy that is unused. Imagine being drowning or struggling in the water and a friend, a lifeguard, throws you a life raft, a life buoy, and instead of grabbing onto it, you just go, I'm good. I'm just going to keep trying to swim myself. What would we call that? What would we call that simply foolishness? That anybody who just ignored a lifeline, a life-saving tool in front of them would it be utter foolishness. And that might sound harsh as we apply it to us and to our prayer life, but what else do you call it when God says to you in his word, look, if you pray according to my will, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but this is what he says. He says, if you pray according to my will, and you know that I'm going to hear you, and you know that I'm going to hear you, whatever you ask, according to my will, I'm going to give you, because guess what? According to my will, I've already promised to give it to you. Think about that. And we just go, nah, I'm not going to even bother finding out what that is. What else do we call that when we, when we don't even know what God's will is that he has revealed to us in his word? Scripture calls unbelief foolishness. Scripture calls people who ignore what God says to them fools. Have we been foolish in our faith life and our prayer life because God throws us these massively abundant promises? We just walk away, leaving it on the table. We just struggle and try to stay afloat when he's thrown us this promise. Just grab hold of it. Just grab hold of, well, my will and my good and perfect will for you and, and pray according to that. And I'm going to give you whatever you ask according to my will. Oftentimes it is. Here's the good news, though, that, that you have God's wisdom in his word. That his will isn't this hidden and mysterious thing that we can't possibly figure out or ever know, but we have it. And you think, well, I know, I know that. How am I supposed to understand it? Well, here's some good news. In just a few verses after 1 John chapter 5, well, John writes this about Christ giving us wisdom to understand him and his will for us. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 says this, that we know anyone born of God doesn't continue to sin. Fact, present reality. The one, Christ Jesus, who was born of God, keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. And we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear friends, here's the good news. The promise of God is this, that he has given you his word and he has given you his will. And then through that word and through that will, he leads you into ever-increasing and ever-greater understanding of him through the gift of Christ, through the Holy Spirit. That is his promise. That is his promise to you, that you will ever-greater and ever-increasingly know his will by being in his will. 
It is this uh, self-fulfilling promise, if you will, that when you're in my word, you're going to know my will. When you know my will, you're going to pray according to my will. When you pray according to my will, you're going to have the things that I promise to give you in my word, and you can bank on that every single time. That is the confidence that you have in Christ. Here's our last one. Picture number five. based on verse 15 of 1 John chapter 5. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. We said it earlier that in this section of scripture, John is talking about present realities that you have right now in Christ. You know that God hears you. You know that you have whatever you ask for. And yet oftentimes, is this how we see our prayer life? We've prayed, we've tried, we've approached God's throne, we've stopped going to him like a vending machine and just punching in whatever we want. We've seen the life raft, we're holding on, but it feels like we're still struggling. And yet it feels like again and again, we pray to him, we pray to him, we pray to him, and like our messages are unread, or maybe God's messages back to us. It's, it's just, I, I can't even. I can't even look at him anymore. The problem is I, I just give up this thing called prayer because it doesn't seem to be working anymore in my life. You ever open up your phone maybe after work or maybe after actually putting it down for a long period of time? And you do, you just have a ton of, ton of text messages. And it's probably all from your mom or group messages of, you know, people who just, you know, send a bunch of memes, but you think, I, I'm too tired to go through them all. Or maybe you get back to work after vacation and you got over 100 emails and that notification is just glaring you in the face. And you're like, I'm not. I'm just, I can't. I'm too tired. So you just give up. Is that form of communication, that sentiment of just being weary and tired of talking, does that come into our prayer life? Because we've tried. It just, it just doesn't work. I'm just not being heard. I could never actually get to the bottom of all these messages and talk to God about all these things in my life. Do we feel that way? I think sometimes we do. And so it's helpful to remember that when we give up on prayer, well, God doesn't ever quit on us. The biblical illustrations that, that God's word gives us that we read before are just so compelling. God's word in the gospel lesson tells the story of a judge who does not care at all what people think. He doesn't like anybody and he doesn't like God. And yet, because someone was persistent, because a woman came to him again and again and again, he said, all right, I'm, I'll just give you what you want so you leave me alone. God's point is this. How much more is a God and a judge who loves you, who cares for you, whose will for you is always good, who wants you to come to talk to him, how much more? Aren't you going to just give up and you know, cease coming to me? No, come again and again. Keep praying and do not stop. What is the picture that God gives of prayer in the Old Testament? He gives the actual physical real life narrative of him wrestling with Jacob, encouraging Jacob to keep on wrestling him throughout the night. Come on, do you think God could have at any moment just pinned him and done away with him? Of course. And yet, what does our God want from us? 
He wants us to never give up, and he never gives up on us. He always is calling us and encouraging us to wrestle with him in prayer because he wants us to talk to him. We've looked at some problematic pictures of prayer. You probably wonder, how am I supposed to picture my prayer life? Well, I don't know if this helps, but, but maybe picture an uh, old-school boxing poster, wrestling match. You know, you see some new ones where the, the two contestants are staring at each other face-to-face. It's between you and God. That is what prayer is. It's you talking to him. It's 15 or more rounds of you coming back to him again and again. And yet you know what your God wants. You know what your God likes in all of this. He likes you struggling with him. He likes all the verbosity and the confidence, the swagger that a boxer might have as they prepare for a fight and talk to the competition about what they're going to do, about what they can expect from him. He wants you to have that confidence as you come before him and talk to him in prayer. Christians, prayer is our vital breath. The Christian's native air. It's, it's necessary that we pray, and it's natural that we pray. As I was preparing for this message, I thought about one of the very first Sports Illustrated articles that I ever read. It was about deep sea competitive diving. It's this incredible extreme sport where people train their lungs to hold their breath for up to three, four, five, some as high as eight minutes. How long can you hold your breath? One minute? Maybe two? Think about that. Training to hold your breath for minutes upon minutes. Prayer is our vital breath. We need to do it. It's necessary to do it. Oftentimes, does our, does our life maybe look like us trying to hold our breath just to see how long we can do it? See how long I can not pray, not talk to God. Friends, our God in his word today is calling us back to him, encouraging us that he wants us to wrestle with him in prayer. That he doesn't want us to hold our breath, but he wants us to continually speak to him again and again about all things and pray according to his will. So he has jam-packed his word with promises about prayer. That when we pray according to his will, you can bank on this. You can know this. He's going to give you whatever you ask. So you, make that, you think it makes sense to pray, Lord, <laughs> increase our faith to pray? Let's do that. Amen.